Hello and welcome to the Cinephile New Wave. I'm Duran. I'm Nick. And I'm Reese. And today we're joined by our very special guest, Reese. Would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm Reese Bobo, as mentioned. I'm a amateur filmmaker, film major at Ringling, Sarasota, uh, Ringling College of Art and Design in Sarasota. So I'm just an idiot college kid watching a bunch of movies. So that's me. <laughs> just like Nick and... Hell yeah. Hell yeah, baby. Let's do it, baby. <laughs> All right. Let's do it. All right. Are you guys ready for the news? I don't think you're ready. No, I'm not ready. Boys, we getting Chungking Express 2. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> Duran, do you want to talk about Chungking Express 2? All right. So the first thing I did when I saw this news, uh, this headline, this said, why, Wonkar, why? Just why? Chungking Express is such a good movie. Why, 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 would, why would you do this? But then... I read what the movie was about, and it sounds fucking amazing. <laughs> so apparently, I don't know why it's called Chungking Express 2020, because apparently it takes place in um, 2036. <laughs> and there's going to be like like weird sci-fi elements that, that go with Oh my go with god. It. So um, it says like in 2036, young um, Zhao Qian and Mei are unwilling to be held back by genetic partnerings and insist on finding their own destiny. And I'm like, dude, that sounds fucking amazing. Like, I, I, I never know. I never, I never knew how much I wanted a weird ass fucking Wong Kar Wai sci-fi film that's based in the Chunking Express universe. <laughs> oh my god! I feel so behind this headline. Like, I'm already an inadequate guest because I haven't seen Chunking Express. <laughs> So, I haven't. Like, I, I haven't either. This is so confusing to me. Like, <laughs> like on sci-fi twenty twenty remake. Like, I don't yeah. understand. <laughs> yeah. So let me let me like talk about Chunking Express, the original, just so um, if people haven't uh, don't know what that is. So basically, it's a um, it's like a romance by um, Wong Kar Wai, the very very famous Hong Kong director, um, in which it, it has like two main stories that sort of intersect, and they're both kind of like these these cute love stories. My opinion, it's my it's definitely my favorite Wong Kar Wai. I mean, I also like haven't watched much by him. Um, I've only seen I think like three, um, but definitely yeah, Chunking Express is my favorite. Um, and also, uh, Wong Kar Wai isn't new to making like strange sequels to his films. So like I know that um, in the mood for love has has a sequel called Twenty Forty Six. Um, that that I haven't actually watched yet, so not, I've heard I heard his every good things, but um, yeah, I'm really curious to see where this goes, especially now that um, Wong Kar Wai has, uh, I assume, finished shooting his new film Blossoms, which is his, like his new film in like almost ten years, I think. Hell yeah! So, I, I'm in the mood for love is really good, and I haven't seen the sequel, so it's interesting that this director keeps revisiting his work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have in the mood for love on my shelf. I still need to watch it, but um, I'm I'm intrigued by the fact that he made this project sci-fi, uh, or at least light sci-fi. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested in that because I think that there's if you if you, the the thing about sci-fi is that as like a genre, I usually have some issues with it, but um, I think like having this light sci-fi element could do some interesting things and like have like maybe commentary on like. Um, contemporary society because I mean the movie is called Chunking Express 2020 right but yeah. it's set in 2036 so madness 
Mm-hmm. I'm uh, I'm very excited for this because uh, yeah, I sounds like it'll I'm, be sounds like it'll be interesting at the Nick, very least. Nick Harris, I need new fucking art films. <laughs> Goddamn well, you art know, films. The, the first one sounds honestly kind of boring. So hopefully this one has more like lasers. And you said it was sci-fi, <laughs> so I might check this one out. True, <laughs> dude. Hopefully that they'll, they'll get like a, yeah, man. Like honestly. This is the only way for Reddit to uh, check out your new indie film is to make it slight sci-fi or slight horror. Chunking Express 2020 Funko Pops win. <laughs> yeah, oh this movie God. has like some big Funko Pops. I might check it out. But Hell yeah. Right Hell yeah. Speaking right. of Funko Pops, uh, Disney has pushed its uh, release dates back. Because uh, it's... Get it? Because it's all soy cinema. No, I'm just kidding. Whatever. Um... <laughs> But yeah, Disney has pushed back the release dates of Black Widow, um, among others. Uh, Black Widow, Death on the Nile, and uh, can't find the other. Damn it! All right. Anyway, um, West Side Story. That's what it is. Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Um, this is interesting because a lot of people were like, you know, depending on how Mulan does, Black Widow might be uh, shifted to Disney Plus. So. I guess we got to assume that uh, Black Widow didn't or Mulan didn't do very well. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't un, I don't understand why they wouldn't be pushing everything to Disney Plus, but maybe it's because Disney's one of the only companies that still makes money in the theaters anymore. Yeah, that's um, that's it, very possible. It's it's kind of crazy that they've just blanket pushed everything back, but I don't I don't know. My question is, how does this affect? Because Marvel runs on a tight schedule and they're still releasing the shows, so I wonder if that plays into like how they have to release things. Yeah, well, uh, we got the WandaVision trailer this week too, which uh, you know that was supposed to come out like I I think like that was supposed to be among the last shows to come out, and now it's like the first one that's coming out. So that this this whole plan is just kind of weird, and I don't know what they're doing with it as someone who you know follows the marvel scene i you know this is all it's all weird it makes sense though i mean considering um tenet's box office uh, performance yeah whatever this was like really pushing for that to be the film that like reopens um international and uh like u.s theaters but i mean while it didn't like do terribly i think it made like some money right i don't think it broke even i think it, it did, oh, it did pretty all. well considering yeah I, yeah I think i saw it made 200 million which is over its budget but yeah um but the thing is like with these with these like gigantic movies that disney is making they probably don't want to take the risk in releasing them in theaters right now from from seeing like uh you know tenants box office performance and also um it, this does raise like a really interesting question about like what happened with Mulan. Um, Nick and I were talking about the business model Disney was going for this this precedent that they were setting in making a rental um, for for like a new AAA like big budget film be thirty dollars and like whether the public would would buy this or not. Um, and I, I think uh, we we both were kind of arguing that it's a really like kind of bad anti consumer thing um, to charge this much. Um, for a film on a service that already costs money. Especially if you're going to announce days before it releases that it'll be available for free to you in uh, December. Yeah, that's kind of weird. <laughs> Is that how they released it? Because I, I wasn't sure what happened with Mulan. They didn't... They So they charged 
you to rent it on Disney Plus. Yeah, you have to have a Disney Plus subscription, but then they charge you another charge for Mulan. And that, that charge Whoa. is $30. That's so dumb. Why I know. They, just, they should just make Disney Plus like the new TV or like the new movie theater. I mean, that's already where we're headed with streaming. Again. Well, the thing exactly. is, the, the reason, <laughs> actually, this it's actually a good business model. The problem was that it was too expensive. Yeah. Because, most... um, so the justification was that like, oh, it's cheaper than like going with a family of five to the movie theaters. You can just get like this one thing for $30. But I mean. It's yeah, not exactly it's... the best argument. Also, Plus, Mulan is not really a run, don't walk. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, who's good, who's seeing this movie? Like, Disney does do a good job at making temple movies that people have to see in theaters, like Endgame or Lion King or Aladdin. Like, even if you don't like these movies, they're movies that people want to go see while they're in theaters. But if it's Mulan and you can just wait and you're going to be watching it on your TV anyway, like who's going to be paying $30? That's true. Um, I do think that the problem was the pricing though. I think that if they had, if it was like $20, maybe, I think that they probably would have probably done better. Um, and I'm, I'm very glad that like the precedent has been, um, that, that there wasn't a precedent for this. I think, I think $30 rentals is absolutely ridiculous, which is completely ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, I I think I I didn't rent any of the movies that like studios were putting out. Besides, I I watched Bill and Ted with my friends, but that was it. Like, I'm not paying twenty dollars to rent a movie right now. But like, they were charging thirty, so it's like even more ridiculous. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, who's who's going for this? Like, if if only if half of all disney plus users uh bought mulan someone did the math uh i think they would have gotten like 900 million dollars so clearly like no one was on board with this yeah i have a feeling that it didn't it didn't go too well um and i'd assume that disney doesn't want to just drop um these like uh well i guess black widow because that's already like in the bag right yeah so i assume they don't they don't want to just drop that on disney plus since like they want to make some more like consistent uh, well, to make to make like some more money from it than just like the subscription, definitely like, the subscriptions. Um, so it's probably they probably made like a calculated risk with Mulan to see like how that would go, and since that I guess assumingly that failed, um, they're gonna try just pushing it back until coronavirus is over, which might be a problem, but yeah. might be the the best solution. Yeah, I don't know. It, but for me, I honestly would not check out these movies in theater but I would check them out at, at home. <laughs> yeah. Like maybe I, I would see Death in the Nile. Uh, I'm a little Marvel fatigued, but if Black Widow was just on Disney Plus, I might click on it. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is though, like, I mean, this Black Widow is going to make like a shitload of money um, after coronavirus. Like really, yeah. pretty, pretty certain. I mean, like even if like no one in the call watches it, I mean, there's like, countless marvel nerds that will go see it immediately when it comes out i mean have you seen dude the marvel side of twitter who's like complete fanboy they're like they're melting down out of over the fact that they don't have a movie this year (laughs) oh yeah that that that, that tweet i like i um, swear to god first year since 2009 there hasn't been an mcu film what are we gonna do (laughs) i i swear to god this is a good thing that we are not getting marvel movies for a bit uh, blessing in disguise. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think that 
after end game, at least from what I've heard, like a lot of people have said that they don't really care about what's going on anymore. Yeah. Especially now that like they're kind of like scraping the bottom of the barrel for like which comics to adapt. Yeah, which is funny because, you know, with like the buying of Fox, they now have access to two or three A-list teams that they didn't have access to before. Right. I mean, people really True. want to see what the X-Men look like in the MCU, I think. Or at least they will want to. Yeah, I think Disney is going to find some way to make people care. Because there was because I've had Marvel fatigue, which feels like for 10 years now. <laughs> but every single time they're like, oh, but this movie's slightly different. Like, oh, you got to <laughs> see Black Panther. Oh, you got to see Endgame. Oh, you got to see spider-man homecoming they got it they got a good gotta see going on and even right now i'm so so done but then i see the wanda and vision trailer and i'll be like oh a tv show i might check out a tv show (laughs) (laughs) they might pull something out of my their asses where i'm like i'm so done with mcu and then they're like and now all the x-men are in or whatever yeah (laughs) i think reese i think you're a closeted marvel fanboy i think i'm closeted i think i actually enjoy it secretly (laughs) Let me let me just mention it before we move on. But the, oh, boys, we're getting the Fury series with Nick, with uh, Sam Jackson. The uh, yeah, like yeah, okay, yeah. Okay. After after so long, after so long, after everybody would have actually cared, they're finally doing it. I feel like the same thing happened with Black Widow. But anyway. oh yeah, definitely. Like I wanted a Black Widow movie in like 2010, dude. Yeah. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, I will this always, I will always look at Scarlett Johansson. You know, literally, what happened there is one of the the fucking CEO of Marvel at the time was like, he's he's a fucking big misogynist racist who was like, uh, dude, Black Widow toys don't sell, and a Black Panther toys definitely would not sell. See you guys later. <laughs> and they didn't make those movies for a long time because of that. Oh, uh, I mean, like, uh, not to defend, but he might have been correct maybe but i don't know i mean like with, with the producers like i mean they're obviously racist i mean he was definitely wrong they, with they black panther looking... but <laughs> oh yeah but i mean that was also 10 years later yeah yeah they're also dis it's disney making movies for china and overseas you know true markets. And true so he was they, thinking about the china ones like yeah. yeah you'll see the them do the black uh panther poster and then in china they put the mask over yeah. Roseman's face and just to like, cause they can't have black people on covers on yeah. posters in China, like force awakens. They edited out Finn, like yeah, from the yeah. Chinese poster. And so it's kind of just Disney doing whatever the hell. I don't, he's yeah. Disney doesn't do the best part of the battle. Hey, Disney doesn't give a fuck about like, um, uh, PC politics. No, they really don't. Progressiveness at all. They just, they just want to yeah. make fucking money. I mean, it's because like now in like 2020, it's, it's fine to, um, have female protagonists and have like minorities, um, as stars. That's why they're doing it. I mean, it's not that they actually give a shit about, you know, women or minorities. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> um, do we want to move on to the fact that Tom Cruise is going to space, or do we have more to Tom, say about these delays? Tom Cruise, is, Tom Cruise is going to space. Yeah, let's talk about uh, Tommy and Elon have teamed up. He's okay, this, it's happening, this guys. Could just, this could just be the greatest action movie. <laughs> it, it's I, I'm, I'm hopeful. It's I love possible. Mission Impossible franchise. 
I think Tom Cruise is an excellent actor and performer. Like, he has been in bad movies, but he has not been bad in movies. Tom Cruise <laughs> is top five working actors, maybe. Definitely my favorite Scientologist. <laughs> um, He's, like, second to John Travolta, but... No. So, so he announced this team-up with Elon Musk and NASA to film a movie in space. The movie's going to be directed by Doug Liman, who did um, Edge of Tomorrow, among other things. Um, I think he did one of the... Born movies? I'm not sure. Anyway. Um, but, yeah. Uh, he's, uh, he's he's really taking it up. He's he's going to space. Uh, well, who knows if we'll ever see him again. <laughs> yeah, I... Dude, I need, I need Ambition Possible 7, 8, and 9, alright? Don't say that. Yeah, this just seems like a, a natural progression of any film franchise that has been around for so long. Like, Fast and Furious <laughs> starts with streetcar racing and then they're battling submarines on from like tanks or whatever the hell they're doing in the newest movies like, what listen what they and said nine now, would go to space so like i don't know <laughs> this could be I, a I stepping point they filmed the action well because for the mummy they actually did a ton of practical stunts and all this stuff but then it just, they edited it to shit and it was like a bad script and it didn't even matter. So I just hope, I don't know. I hope they have the, the Mission Impossible uh, can deliver on a, on their on the space set piece that they're selling. Because normally this, that's wait, what this is No, this isn't going to be a Mission Impossible movie, Is it though. not? Uh, no, it's not. Assumption. Uh, yeah, no. Uh, I mean, it is a solid assumption. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you assume that's where they're going considering yeah. that, yeah. that man was I'm like jumping off cliffs and shit. I'm excited now that I just know it's just Tom Cruise fucking around in space. Although, <laughs> I don't know, Doug Lyman does have me... Uh, does does have me uh, excited. Edge of Tomorrow was, was good, so uh, yeah, I like Edge of Tomorrow. I'll definitely watch it. I'm I'm 100 gonna watch it. So for sure, whatever gimmick they did, it space, it works. Yeah, I love Tom Cruise. Oh yeah, he did a uh, Born Identity. I was right. Oh, so, cool. Yeah, I mean, he's good action director. This this could actually be awesome. Yeah, yeah, he's he's been around. We, we gotta trust. I'm gonna trust that this will be I'll okay. Trust, I'll trust. Although I'm very excited for Untitled Tom Cruise slash NASA project. <laughs> uh, thank you, Letterbox, for that wonderful name. <laughs> um, all right, uh, and then we have just uh, a small little uh, R.I.P. to uh, Ron Cobb and Michael Chapman. If you want to talk about Michael Chapman now, you uh, yeah. You so met. Michael Chapman was like one of the most interesting um, cinematographers of the American New Wave. Um, he was a camera operator on Jaws, I believe. That's like probably where he got his start. And he was a cinematographer for um, some early Scorsese films, like Taxi Driver and Raging Bull. Mm -hmm. um, Taxi Driver, in my opinion, is like one of the best shot American films I've seen. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, and he's he also shot um, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the '78 remake. Um, and I remember like when when I saw that in theaters with Nick, like the two things that struck out that, that stood out to me the most were the sound design and also um, the cinematography, the framing. There's some like really interesting shots of um, it's like really weird shots of like uh, the main character, but like from above and behind in very like strange angles that really like um, add to like the paranoia of the film. Um, and I mean, I don't, I don't know too much about him specifically. I'm only familiar like with his work, 
but um, I mean, this guy's worked with um, Scorsese, with uh, Paul Schrader. Um, I mean, yeah, it's this is a really sad one because Raging Bull and Taxi Driver, like you were saying, are some of the most influential American films ever, and especially from a cinematography standpoint. Like, how many movies have tried to copy the look of Raging Bull? It's just so iconic, and oh, yeah. and taxi driver the same thing we've probably had movies for the past 50 years copying the look of taxi driver all the way up to joker last year so yeah like um there's that there's that one zoom in raging bull where i forget there's a technical term for it i think it's called like is it snap zoom um anyway uh well anyway um how that works is you zoom in to like the object and focus and the background becomes like zoomed out at the same time. Um, that's like one of the most famous shots. In yeah. The, uh, a, uh, it's a Zolly or a Dolly. One of yeah, those. Yeah. Zolly, yeah. Zolly, it's Zolly, a, Zolly, a Dolly zoom or yeah. Called it Zolly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, which is interesting. You said he was a cam op on Jaws. I didn't know that, but yeah, mm-hmm. another great Zolly and Jaws. Everybody yeah. stop the presses. He was a cam op on Clute boys. <laughs> Bro, all right. Clute. When are we watching Clute? Uh, you know, whenever you want to. I'm always down for some Clute, dude. Dude, um, I really want to watch the um, Pakula conspiracy trilogy. So it's like all the President's yeah. Men, Clute, and Parallax View. Hell oh, yeah! Wow, well, I just saw all the President's Men for the first time. Pretty good movie. Weeks ago. Pretty it was really good. I, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So the problem with all the President's Men is that literally any movie that's about newspapers or like journalism after it just completely rips it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like it's it's kind of the quintessential like journalism movie yeah yeah like the post and fucking that that one with um michael keaton spotlight just yeah. spotlight yeah although yeah, nightcrawler I... nightcrawler is about journalism yeah but i mean it's a different kind yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I, dustin hoffman robert redford they're they're just so fantastic yeah mm-hmm. so it's a classic and uh, along with Michael Chapman, Ron Cobb died, who um, you probably don't know his name, but you probably know his work. Uh, he was a uh, concept artist, uh, just general artist on a lot of things. He did a lot of uh, editorial cartoons. Um, but he uh, helped work on uh, Jodorowsky's Dune, uh, which he then moved on to uh, Alien after that kind of fell through. Uh, he also helped design uh, some of the creatures for Star Wars. Uh, Hammerhead, if I don't know if there are any Star Wars buffs listening, but the that guy. Hammerhead. Uh, it's it's that weird alien that has like the it, it kind of looks like a hammerhead shark. His head like goes out and then up. He's in the he's in the Moss Eisley scene, um, but he you know he also helped with uh, Night Skies, which eventually became E.T. He helped with Back to the Future. He directed a few episodes of the uh, reboot of The Twilight Zone. So, uh, yeah, he's he's just kind of here and there. To, uh, Total Recall, True Lies. Um, yeah, you're, you're right, Nick. I, I did not recognize his name at first, but I definitely have recognized a lot of his artwork. Yeah, he's, um, he's really cool, uh, unfortunately. Uh, we, uh, we lost him. We lost. We lose uh, a lot of good, uh, you know, crew members that I don't think we talk about enough. Ron Cobb is definitely one of those guys. I think. 
Yeah, this is why a tour theory is fucking stupid. Hell yeah. True. <laughs> Very true. All right. Um, well, that's all I really wanted to say about Ron Cobb. Uh, do we uh, want to move on to Under the Silver Lake, boys? Sure. Hell yeah. yeah. Let's do it. All right. Okay, so the movie for this week I recommended was Under the Silver Lake. And it's listed as a 2018 movie, but I'm going to call it a 2019 movie just because... It released in festivals, but didn't get a wide release till 2019. But it's a David Robert Mitchell film who did It Follows. Um, he also uh, had a small indie movie before that, which actually shows up in Under the Silver Lake uh, at a screening. And uh, this was his follow-up, Under the Silver Lake. It's a A24 film. It stars Andrew Garfield. It's about uncovering conspiracies in Hollywood. And it's kind of a fun mystery thriller with some elements of horror. Um, but I'm really interested to hear what you guys think because it's kind of a crazy movie. Yeah, I uh, I I really like the movie. Um, but uh, before that, let's um, let's give a little uh, I guess general plot synopsis, if if we may. Uh, so uh, I think Reese did a good job. I, I, I mean, yeah. Like, I don't know if it's worth like delving into. Yeah. The yeah, specifics the, of the plot because it gets like really complicated. Yeah, it gets yeah, really it's a complicated. Tricky movie really to fast, talk so about. Like, so it's gonna yeah. be really <laughs> <interesting>. <laughs> so just go off of this general description for right now. We'll uh, spend I don't know like five minutes doing our um, little uh, non-spoiler, but then we'll get into the spoiler territory. So um, yeah, how do you even talk about this movie without spoiling? It? I know. Um, yeah, I'll just <laughs> say before we even begin. Yeah, I, I, I mean we can go straight to spoilers. It. I think it's a great film. It's on Amazon Prime. I mean, it's 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 a shame it really didn't get a lot of uh, eyes because it uh, it bombed. Like, if you look at the Rotten Tomato scores, it's like fifty percent critic, fifty percent audience. Like, no one was like it was kind of polarizing on both sides. And apparently, they after it was released in festivals, they re-edited it. And then in the summer of twenty nineteen, a twenty four decided to cancel the wide release of under the silver lake and push midsomar instead so like that's where all their marketing budget for a24 went that year and so no one really saw this movie um until after the fact and so it's it's kind of uh kind of went under the radar for a lot of people yeah um duran do you want to uh, say anything about the film uh, I think you guys should start. All right. Um, so Reese, uh, what? Um, I guess I'll just start with what? Uh, what do you like most about this film? Uh, yeah, I there's a lot to appreciate about this film. I really like the cinematography and kind of the language of the film. Like it pulls a lot from Hitchcock and stuff. Uh, there's a there's a lot of shots that remind me of Psycho when he's driving. Uh, a lot of this movie is just Andrew Garfield figuring things out. And so it's a lot of shot reverse shot where Andrew Garfield will look at something and then we'll see someone go around the corner and they'll follow around the corner. And then you see what he looks at and then he picks something up and you see what he looks at. It's just everything Andrew Garfield sees. And it's kind of a bold performance for him because he plays such a loser. Like he kind of plays a misogynist loser in this movie, but I think he's kind of, the string which holds the whole film together because it's all over the place. I think Andrew Garfield does a great job as a as a lead. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think I think he did a great job in the role. Yeah, I uh, I I like the whole uh, 
all the all the POV that happens because it definitely uh, helps kind of put you in his shoes, even if you don't really agree with everything he does. Um, mm-hmm. But and I, then even later, the fucking uh, I was talking about the fucking uh, Hitchcock shots, and then literally actors in this story are standing on Hitchcock's grave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I um. I, I really loved all the uh, the car shots. The car shots definitely reminded me of uh, Psycho a lot. Mm-hmm. All of the... Um, I, I, yeah, now that you mention it, the cinematography does stand out a lot more in my mind now that you like have pointed it out. There are a lot of interesting shots that they... Uh, yeah, they and there's, there's a lot of in-camera dolly moves. Like, uh, there's not a lot of... Um, there's not like, like you see, you feel the weight of the camera. There's not a lot of uh, shaky camera, but it's also not like smooth and on a, a stabilizer. Like you can see they're using like a dolly with wheels and stuff. Like a lot of old fashioned techniques are used to like call upon old movies, like old fashioned lighting techniques. There's a lot of beauty shots of women um, that kind of, it's interesting because this movie is all about how Hollywood views women and how uh like we view hollywood as like the new religion of culture and you know there there's even a band called jesus and the draculas where they it's like kind of a a mix of mythology of like religious iconography and um and like dracula like monsters and there's even a line that's like you know we don't need witches and werewolves anymore we have computers and Hmm. so it's interesting for this movie to uh to like try to paint how hollywood is trying to become its own new religion and you know it calls upon like pharaohs and a lot of other interesting imagery it's kind of like a mystical movie definitely definitely i got that sense i although i uh, i took a different meaning from i think the film than okay you did. um in my eyes i i felt like the film was very much about um you know, trying to put a mystery together in your head that doesn't actually exist. And what's interesting about the film is that it goes both ways. A lot of the time, uh, the the characters will just tell Andrew Garfield, you know, this doesn't mean anything, right? And <laughs> the, the fact that he, yeah. he gets anywhere in this mystery is kind of amazing because a lot of the time we're, we have this conflicting evidence of there's nothing really here, he's just kind of crazy, and a lot of weird coincidences are also happening. So I, I don't know. For me, that's that... an interesting way to read it because that's how this was the first time where I got a hint of that. Rewatching it, I wrote down like in my notes, the bird has no meaning because <laughs> I think that's what the bird means <laughs> to, like, <laughs> to, to say it like that. You mean like but, the uh, the owl lady? Uh, Oh, not the owl lady, although I do want to talk about her, but oh, the you mean neighbor, the yeah, the neighbor has the okay. parrot and you, it keeps talking throughout the movie. It's like, blah, blah, blah. And you can't hear what it says. And he's like, what does it say? And then at the end, the girl's like, I've never known what it says, but it's like, maybe it's just a parrot making noise. Like what's the conspiracy behind the parrot? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I think yeah. that is kind of showing like yeah. Andrew's obsession. I love that. Yeah, I I'm... agree. I think, I think the strongest part of the movie is that it doesn't, really care to make sense or tie up all the loose ends because i feel like um there's just there's just really like a really big insecurity in um most like popular um, movies at least released today that um 
everything needs to make sense. There can't be like any plot holes. If it's like a like a mystery, everything needs to like tie together. Then that's very that's very boring yeah. in my opinion. Um, so well, personally, I was like pretty mixed on the movie, and I'll get into that in a second. Um, I did respect that um, the director didn't really care about tying everything together, um, like the um, like the bird you said, and also the um, like the weird naked like owl lady that like tries to murder Andrew Garfield. Yeah, and I I think it's interesting you say that because the movie also doesn't hold your hand in terms of your knowledge within the moment because it really lets you see the conspiracy from the outside. Like you'll see the you see the bunker before you even understand the meaning of what the bunker might mean. And Andrew even thinks it might be for a nuclear apocalypse or something. So I do think it's smart that the movie shows you a lot of pieces from the outside before it gives you kind of the bigger picture. And I think what holds the movie together is the sequences themselves in which it gives you the pieces are a fun mystery to watch. You know, when he is driving and he sees the women look at the scoreboard and it's like flashing random numbers and he writes that down, you know, in the moment you have no idea what it's about, but it still, it captures the weird feeling of life where you are walking around and you see a random guy who kind of looks like he's dressed like a pirate. And you're like, what is he about? Is he part of something bigger? And this movie goes, you know, what if all of this part, all of this stuff was a part of something bigger? And it kind of, I think, delivers on the conspiracy aspect of it. Definitely. I'm, I'm one of those, um, kind of like conspiracy minded people like Andrew Garfield's character is where I'm just like, you know, what is this? What is happening? And so this movie was just kind of a, a, a big treat for me. Cause I was just like, I'm into this mystery, but I also feel like there's, there is actually not a mystery and the film keeps telling me this. And yet I want to keep going and learn more. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Um, I think, so some of the problems I had with the movie is that, um, so first of all, I was kind of annoyed at how much this film was drawing on the, um, like the seventies conspiracy thriller type films and also how like much of a copy it was of, um, that kind of style and specifically like yeah. the style of the Hollywood new wave and, um, Robert Altman. Like I... <laughs> Uh, yeah. when we were, so we were, we were when Nick and I were watching the movie. I, I was like, I, I was getting like pretty visibly annoyed that basically like every like single zoom in this film is like, like basically a complete ripoff of um, the Long Goodbye. And also like in, in the Long Goodbye, it's also set in L.A. It's also a mystery film. Um, and the the problem, I think the main problem I had with this movie is the director seems to be very obsessed with creating this. Um, kind of 70s conspiracy thriller style movie um, but it completely lacks like the social relevance that those movies had so there's there's a reason why like the 70s conspiracy thriller was a thing you know there's like skepticism because of Vietnam and because of uh, like Nixon and political apathy and all of that plus also we had just come from this period of um, the the Hollywood golden age where um, American myths and narratives were forefront. And so like these films are like trying to dismantle these narratives. Um, so to, for this film to kind of emulate that style, but to set it today without really having um, a, a, like relevance 
for today. I didn't really like that. And there's certainly like scenes like um the part with Topher Grace and uh Andrew Garfield when they're piloting the drone where Topher Grace says like oh like everyone's paranoid cuz like you know we're all like controlled by mach- like we're all um uh on the internet and like machines can see us and that kind of stuff. And I get kind of what the director was was going for there, but it certainly wasn't enough. I really don't think that this film is particularly relevant more today than it would have been in the 70s. Um, and, that, and that's that's kind of not my biggest issue with it. That's interesting. And I totally agree that the conspiracy film derives from like a love of like the Nixon era of distrust of the government. I think what this movie does well is it kind of comments on like I don't, it comments on like misogyny and within a conspiracy concept because you I really like the scene or it's a very interesting scene where the, they're piloting the drone and they're spying on a woman because they're talking about oh I think I'm being followed I you know like Andrew's tied up in this whole conspiracy but at the same time he's just spying on these women too like he like all he cares about is just like viewing whatever he can and getting whatever like info as sneakily as he can and so it's interesting there's another theme of work within the movie you know he doesn't have a job he even becomes homeless and he says he hates the homeless which is interesting but um the songwriter in the film who's part of the conspiracy theory he keeps asking why he doesn't he's like oh i just do it for job like i just do it for work so i think it's kind of i thought what I liked about the conspiracy aspect of it is it's just a bunch of people within the cogs and Andrew could have easily just been like someone in the cog. Like he's, he tracked down this girl and she found it creepy, even though she was part of the conspiracy. I don't know. Yeah. It almost feels like it's taking a piss on, you know, the conspiracy theory genre, because a lot of this just seems to be coincidence of his life. Like he's just already in these social groups. He just hasn't noticed Mm -hmm. these people, I guess. Which, um, I, I, I find that very interesting that, like, just this, this whole thing about, like, this, in the end, that last shot, it reaffirms that this has gone nowhere. It's this triumphant swell of music, like, he has reached the end of this mystery, and yet he has not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know, because, like, so, again, another, my, another big issue I had with the film is that for, for a conspiracy thriller film for, to work for me, I have to either be invested in the main character or I have to be invested in the conspiracy. And neither of those things were true in my case. I did find like Andrew Garfield's character funny. I mean, I really, I thought it was hilarious when like he beat up those like literal children for like um, <laughs> vandalizing his car. I thought that was hilarious. But like, I just like don't care about his character at all. I mean, cause he's not, you know, particularly like in depth. Um, there, there, there isn't really, really much there. His motivation, yeah, he doesn't change yeah. much either, which is, yeah. I think, I mean, I'm kind of not changing, but like his motivations just really were not interesting to me. I mean, even when they were like clear, um, and the conspiracy like itself, what I mean, like he's searching for a lost girl, and mm-hmm. like it's, it's just not, it, it's not very like unique. It's not, it's not very interesting. I did, I did like at the end how, um, it turned out that, um, well, like he was right about the conspiracy, but like it didn't really mean anything because like all these people were like consenting, um, and like they were like they were finally yeah. alive and all of that. But so so then like, why 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 should I like care? 
because I, I, at the beginning I, I already really didn't care about um you know this person he was searching for and nor him uh nor his motivations nor his like emotional state so yeah it's definitely a tricky movie that i think falls flat for some like editorial reasons which brings me to another interesting part about the movie which is uh i don't know how much you guys know about this but there's a hidden uh you know arg like alt augmented reality game or alternative yeah. reality game there's like a hidden puzzle within the movie oh my god um you know it the movie opens with uh like it flashes four animals it's like bum 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 and it, if you take the first letter from each animal it's utsl under the silver lake and so then throughout there it's like that's just the start of the code and you can see like morse code in the background and people wearing animal shirts that are ciphers to other things and it's kind of an interesting thing to have like a conspiracy or a puzzle within it, its own movie talking about conspiracies and puzzles and meanings within yeah. media. But I think you're, every single movie has to be able to take drastic editing liberties when able when you're telling a story. And if you need specific pieces and shots in order to tell like a second puzzle, it might have calls for some like weird pacing issues i don't know i think the pacing was like particularly bad i thought the editing was fine personally i mean the, the thing about the arg is cool the problem the the, the the thing which is kind of weird about it though is that like the movie isn't like i don't know particularly complicated nor hard to understand at the end i feel like it's fairly obvious what the film is trying to say and like what the conspiracy theory was i mean like if the conspiracy wasn't revealed like at all then maybe like the arg would have been necessary but i just i don't know see you say that but we're sitting here with three different interpretations i think of what this movie is about so i mean but i mean like all the interpretations are are valid i'm I'm saying like the conspiracy itself isn't very it's obvious like what's going on yeah i guess so obviously interpretations. i mean i still have some questions about the homeless king uh and i i do want to talk about uh just on a slightly different note the owl's kiss because it's interesting he directed it follows before this and this movie kind of takes a sharp turn and has a couple like outright horror scenes yeah kind of definitely definitely a tonal shift yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. the, the, the thing about tonal shift though is that because like because of all the comedy in the film and how like kind of ridiculous it all is, which again, I liked, I thought it was hilarious. I just couldn't take any of the horror elements seriously. Yeah. I don't know. It's kind of a weird LA bizarre. Um, like in the sense that it, it's kind of relying on the innate mystery within the setting to bring some of its like charge. Um, which which I would like. I mean, like, um, I I love I love the like strange LA films like Mulholland Drive, The Long Goodbye, Inland Empire, mm-hmm. Lost Highway. You know, like there, there's like some really great weird mysteries about like the magic of LA or like, maybe like the hidden like evil underneath it. It's just that I don't know. This film made it so like unsubtle and obvious that it just was very like uninteresting personally. Honestly, that might be what kind of stuck out to me is that, like, like I said, this kind of, you know, taking a piss of the genre, like, 
there isn't really anything magical about LA. It's it's just a bunch of people who are trying to get acting jobs, you know, huddled all in one place. Yeah, and I've a line I really liked towards the end of the movie was when uh, he he's talking to the man in the little shack that he finds and he goes like so where you're trying to go to heaven and the guy goes no it's like somewhere exclusive (laughs) (laughs) i don't know there's like some some funny la jokes like he walks into a party and he's just in his pajamas and a white shirt and a lady goes oh i like your shirt (laughs) yeah i noticed that that part that was hilarious yeah a fucking plain white t-shirt he bought it from kanye west uh hell yeah um i'd like to go back to the um to the misogyny sure and the commentary on that in the film mm-hmm. um i i really did not think this film had much to say about that personally i actually felt that it was very um uh like regressive um because the main reason is because um i i mean i can i guess i can i can understand what the film might be trying to do um with that but i mean it's still the film is still like guilty of indulging in like um you know the male gaze and like those like um kind of like pleasures from like early from from like earlier cinema that, that are like aligned with misogyny i, I just i don't know yeah do, 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 do you want to like um sorry do, um do you mind like explaining a little bit more um what it's saying about it maybe i missed that yeah let me like talk through some of my thoughts because it's the movie is kind of i think trying to say like a lot of things in a bunch of different ways um and it is I do agree that the movie does kind of get it both ways because it does have the male gaze shots and beauty shots of a bunch of women. You'll see Andrew constantly staring at like women's butts or like women changing or whatever. Um, but then, but then you realize like that is the whole uh, like reason behind the nature of the conspiracy. So it's like that's the only way that Andrew like views the world and it's funny because it's not even what sets off this whole his whole motivation is like the one that got away but it's not really the one that got away it's just like a girl that got away you know what i mean like it's not it tries to like set up this whole thing of oh he's going to find the girl and he's going to save the girl and that's the view that he like sees the world through is like the way he views has been viewing movies and culture is like oh like i like stare at women and then i like find them and like uh and i sexualize them and then at the end he like chases the one who got away and she's like no i'm fine i'm like part of this hollywood system like i'm you know i've like doing my own thing and she's like kind of weirded out that he even tried to find her um is she i don't know i feel like i feel like she's kind of fine with it at the at the end she actually seems pretty happy to see him yeah that's true too it's Um, kind of a a, that i find that scene really engaging just because she's already doomed (laughs) yeah i mean i I don't know i i guess i just i don't really buy the the criticism misogyny there uh, I didn't. I didn't really work for me, especially because I mean, um, especially because there there really wasn't any like developed female character in this film. That could be also said for the other male characters besides the main character, since like I mean we're like the only he's like the only person that we really like get to know. But I feel like especially with the female characters because of how sexualized they are, as opposed like the yeah male, like like the, the other male characters really like aren't sexualized at all. 
compared but, to compared to like the female ones. It, it just it, it just really rubbed me off the wrong way. I, I don't know. I mean, I think Reese is onto something. Um, it I, I think the film is kind of a statement on how we as a culture are expected, uh, or we expect as a culture for things to work out. So the fact that he doesn't get the girl and the girl's a bit freaked out by what actually has happened, uh, and that's you know debatable. Like we just said, it's we can read into that scene what we want, but it it I think they do it uh, really well because by the end I was really thinking that he would like find some treasure at the end of this and like be able to pay off his his rent that way because that's just kind of how. I don't know. That's how yeah, my but, mind but works. That's where I expect it to go. Not, that's not like nuanced in like a 2020 context, though. Like, like that's that's the kind of thing that would be nuanced in like the 60s or but like I the 70s. And like are, that's the problem with this so... film because like it's so stuck in being like in the 70s that it completely like forgets about the fact that it's set in in, in 2018 mm-hmm. or 2019, right? And, and it's completely like irrelevant today. All these all these commentaries that it's making are relevant for the 70s, not for today. Yeah, I do think the film has more nuance and what exactly what it's trying to say. Like, there's lines where the shooting, one of the shooting star models goes, "Oh, I was a, uh, I was on a sitcom from five to six months old, and then now she's just been sexualized her entire life, just because she was in one Hollywood thing when she was a baby." Like, there's little things like that where I think the story is leading to like a bigger picture of a message. But I do think that it doesn't have the grip of the meat of an actual 70s conspiracy or um and that it does get it both ways and like it actually does objectify women um yeah i mean like not like developing any i think i think if you're going to objectify women in like a film that comes out recently you yeah like you need to have um like commentary on that or else it's kind of like cringe (laughs) but like I don't know. Uh, like I said before, I just I I feel like this film is both stuck in the seventies in its style and also like what it's trying to say. I really don't think that anything this film is saying is particularly relevant to today. And I know that there is some commentary on like, um, you know, like the uh, the paranoia people feel because of computers and stuff. But like, it, it's so like I mean, undersaid, and it's really like not shown at all in the film. Don't you think? Don't you think it's saying some relevant things though in terms of? media is the new religion and yeah but i mean like this is the same thing in the 70s too i mean it's it's really like not that much more relevant today and if it was well okay it could be more relevant today but the film doesn't show it to be more relevant today it doesn't use enough of these examples to like say like it like like to use like 2020 examples in fact like this film is is, is so stuck in in the aesthetics of the past i mean like it's like they have like fucking like records and like nes and and like nintendo power and stuff like that like none of the technology yeah, shown but in the isn't film is that like relevant. what it, it's it's trying to like it's commenting on like the nostalgia of it because it kind of does bait and switch expectations of it being like if you look at the trailer it seems it's going to be some conspiracy romp through old-fashioned media and mario games and there's scenes and elements of that but i don't know like i feel like it's commenting more on the nostalgia it is it does get it both ways though like it's able to copy the long goodbye and shit like that but also say like oh everything is stolen like everything's just from media's past i mean yeah i i do i do see the nostalgia but that's it it just doesn't say anything about like today doesn't work for you yeah like i mean 
and that's fair. It, it just it didn't it didn't it didn't go far enough for me. It, it just like I, I don't I don't see why this movie couldn't have been made in the seventies, and it should have stayed there. It's it's like the thing I, with Joker. I like, I, that's I, the I get where you're Joker. So like so like with Joker, I mean, um, Todd Phillips really wanted to emulate like eighties fucking psychological thrillers or whatever, right? Look like Taxi Driver and like French Connection and all that kind of stuff, but it's just Joker is not relevant today at all. Because I mean, it is set in the '80s. Um, why? Why even tell this story? Do you just like the aesthetic? I mean, honestly, uh, I, I don't know what Reese is going to say, but in my own opinion, um, I, I, I honestly, I think that's part of it. Is that I just, I like the aesthetic of the movie, and I know that it's borrowed from somewhere else, but I don't care. Like, I think it was, you know, entertaining and says it's enough stuff on its own right that it i don't really mind that it borrowed the style but it doesn't use the style to say anything that hasn't been said before all right that's and you can call it. this a that's, brain dead take but like i don't care okay that's fine but i'm that's that's the reason why why i have a problem with the film okay because using these things and it doesn't do anything relevant today i i love this style i love the 70s conspiracy theory, um, thriller i love all the nostalgia in the film i think it's it's great and it's cute but if you're gonna have all this and completely like, like forget that this movie is set in the current day, then like, what's the point? Hmm. Yeah, that's fair enough. I I I definitely wanted to throw this movie out here because it's such a weird kind of like homage to past films that it's like such you know when I earlier when I was saying this movie is such a tricky film to talk about. It's it's because it's it's so weird and like doesn't work and works in some weird ways. Oh yeah. I I agree with, um, with Nick that like, even if you think the movie's hollow, I think the sequences themselves, even if borrowed, uh, lead the, through the film. Well, um, I, I definitely like think that there's a lot of like, you know, hilarious and entertaining aspects of the film. And I, I, like I said before, I do respect the director for like, doing his own thing, not really conforming to what's going on right now. Um, and also like not being afraid to tie up, to not tie up loose ends. I really respect that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, you know, maybe there's something to be said about making this movie again with, with this message that's kind of, you know, already been um, in some ways put out there in some ways not. Um, but I, you know, I feel like there's a, uh, you know, as a culture, have we really changed that much since the 70s that, like, oh. Yes. But yes, have we, have we? Yes. Yes, we have. The, um, like, uh, in terms of um, cultural, like, intellectual discourse, yeah. I mean, it's, it's changed a lot in the last 50 years. Um, so that, like, um, we, we need, like, pieces of art that, like, talk about uh, what's going on right now. Yeah, but to the average person, has it really changed? I mean, I don't know. I'm not. Uh, you have to. You have to ask the average people. <laughs> I don't know. I'm. That's... I'm just saying. I, I just don't think it's relevant today. Yeah, and that's. I don't know. That's fair. Fair enough. Do should we uh, move on? Or I. I have some. Uh, no, you can. About the fact that there's, you know, there's some theories. People think Andrew might be the dog killer um yeah actually i thought about that too 
just huh. because uh, he he always has treats in his pocket, um, and like he kind of views himself like he, he himself is kind of a dog. Like he always smells bad. He gets sprayed on by a skunk. Like he has no home. He doesn't have a car. Like he wanders about, and um, uh, like he like preys on like people like pitying and caring for him, but. I think like that is like the root of like his jealousy of the uh un of like the pure love and like affection that dogs get. Mm-hmm. I don't I, know. It's all like circumstantial evidence, yeah. but I think no. there's some interesting stuff there. I actually find that interesting because um I did I really like the like how he kind of like mirrors a dog in that way. But also like I thought one of the main reasons why I thought he was a dog killer is because um I is his dog? Do we know if his dog is killed, or did you just, did you just say it, it like died? We don't. I think he was lying. It was like his he his girlfriend uh, had a dog and he broke up with her. Okay. And or Got she it. broke up with him, and so he just carries dog treats around just Got to it. like hope that he'll run into her. <laughs> right. Because I was thinking that like yeah, it doesn't seem like particularly broken up that his dog died, but I guess that makes sense if it wasn't like his own his own dog. Um, and I felt like I felt like that was like the driving motivation for a lot of the film, and I guess that was like one of the main problems I had with it, because um, I, I wasn't really like he didn't seem very like broken up, and which is why I thought that um, he he might have been the dog killer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually I, I buy the theory. It's an interesting one. There's some other like fun things that I notice uh, upon rewatch, like when the fireworks uh when they go outside and they see fireworks like my theory is the fireworks are either a signal or a distraction uh for when jefferson uh dies in the car car accident um because that happens at the same time so like that's why the girl looks up at the fireworks and set and is become sad because she knows that she's going to go into the bunker um there's like other other stuff like that that makes more sense on the second time around, just knowing the conspiracy. Um, so I I think that's like the some of the stronger parts of the movie is showing the conspiracy from the outside, and like, um, and just like the little glimpses of weirdness that come with it. Yeah, I really like the little details. Um, they're probably some of my favorite parts. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I mean, but... I'm sure like most of them flew over my head, but like, seeing like little mm-hmm. weird things was fun. And the movie had good production design and good sets. I th- I thought the movie tried a lot, um, and sometimes too much to tell its story environmentally, like have different stuff in the background and little things for you to pick up. Um, I think some of it was a little heavy handed though, like expecting you to pause and read things. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, for $2 million. Yeah. This is, uh, pretty fantastic uh what they were able to do yeah it's the same cinematog it's 1.9 oh no that's the box office never mind hold on (laughs) yeah it did not make money lmao it's the same crew as it follows like same cinematographer same Mm. um same chief lighting technician same composer which is actually interesting because it follows kind of has a a synthy uh soundtrack and then under the Silver Lake has a very classical, draws upon classic Hollywood uh, orchestral yeah. theme, uh, and I actually really like the music throughout. I think it's what pushes a lot of scenes that wouldn't work otherwise due to pacing. 
it has the orchestral theme, but it also definitely takes inspiration from um, American New Wave. Like, um, have you seen um, Images by Altman? Uh, no, I haven't. Okay, I, I remember like I forget which scene it was, but um, some of the music was really, really reminiscent of um, John Williams' score from from that film. Interesting. I'll write that down. I'll have to check that out. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a it's a decent um, slasher, but uh, would highly recommend all Altman films. <laughs> Watch McCabe and Mrs. Miller, greatest western of all time. I don't think you've said that on this podcast before. Never, never. <laughs> um, yeah, all right. Uh, well, looks like we're kind of at a stalemate of opinions, so do yeah, you guys want to move on? That's everything I had written about <laughs> on my, in my notes. So. Yeah, Reese, thanks for um, bringing this film in. It's, it's a really like interesting one to think about. Um, I, I, I mean, I definitely had problems with it, but um, I'm glad that I did since, you know, most films coming out these days are pretty like uh uninteresting pretty like easy to understand they don't they don't really like push anything and, and a film that tries to do something else tries to like you know kind of push um an artistic message or something like that um is bound to you know like maybe, yeah. maybe feel more than usual i i think i think um failures uh like like failures that um maybe don't quite meet what they're trying to do are definitely much more interesting than those that don't like really strive to like you know reach any like a higher yeah. standard I'm, I'm glad there's things you respect about this movie and i totally get where you're coming from on it i do think uh it is uh polarizing movies are, are a lot more interesting and you can learn a lot yes. more from them so i i do think it's a shame that this didn't get a wider release because i think even if people didn't like it it's a lot better of a watch than a lot of other things in theaters so yeah, yeah i would definitely agree uh, i think you said it perfectly a polarizing film is so much more interesting i th i think what we're all really saying is that um thank you for having us watch this and uh <laughs> we really didn't want to watch palm springs uh because okay, yeah good, <laughs> good yeah. <laughs> yeah he's just saying he's just it. saying recent indie releases and i'm just in my head just like he doesn't want to watch palm springs <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I've heard it. the problem with Palm Springs is that I've only heard good things about it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it, Palm, Palm, Palm Springs is good. It's fine. It's fun, <laughs> but it's like the only movie that came out this year. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Except for I'm thinking of ending things. Watch now on Netflix. Yes, watch oh, that was good. Anything. Yes. Hey, is yeah, is yeah, this yeah. where we talk about things that we have seen? Because I just watched that also. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So let's let's start with that. Reese, what have you? watch what oh have you God. listened to what have wow. you what have you read there's this played? new charlie kaufman movie i don't know if you guys have heard of it oh shit. i'm thinking of ending things and i liked it it was really good uh hot I'm take a fan of his writing hot take and thinking <laughs> of ending things good <laughs> it's actually uh, no it's actually not a hot take because like like, like this is actually another polarizing film like uh oh really film. yeah probably because yeah, they I, tried I, to sell I, it as a horror <laughs> yeah Anyway, yeah. Reese, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say it's interesting that it's an adaptation. I haven't read the book, and I don't even truly, like, I don't know a ton about it. But I think it's interesting because the movie does a lot of things visually to communicate ideas that I assume were written within the characters' heads. So there's just, like, awkward editing or awkward camera moves or awkward looks to camera. 
um especially in the first act that i think are like cool clues for like um whatever the story is is and eventually ends up leading to be um mm-hmm. so i think it is more interesting than just like to get it slightly into spoilers like oh it was in his head the whole time which i don't yes. think is exactly what the ending is but i think it's more interesting than a lot of movies because i do not like that ending typically in scripts so oh yeah that's it's so annoying when, when like movies just say it's all in his head i mean like even okay even if the movie was all in his head don't say it because it makes the movie so boring like why would i watch yeah. this yeah and that's i look i there's a thing i uh me and my roommate always says which is every student film is trying to be um shutter island like we i can read like and like a script from like every single student film like a kid's like oh i want to make this film and you don't know what's real and this this yeah. and that and blah 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 and i'm like oh this is shutter island <laughs> like oh you don't know if he's crazy or not i'm like okay yeah. this is, everyone just wants to do the shutter island ending and it's so boring <laughs> it's it's a really hard um thing to get right and i think and my personal opinion i, I think that kaufman really really nailed it with this one Absolutely. yeah it's like a much stronger and unique perspective to it mm-hmm. so um i've unless you guys have more to say about that i've been watching a ton of stuff recently yeah go ahead yeah go ahead um like i said i watched all the president's men that was fantastic i really like that what else did i watch i watched black book which is a paul verhoven film uh director of robocop and Ooh. swingers and it's the highest budget dutch film to date and it's this uh world war ii uh like hard r uh, war movie and i don't like war movies but it was awesome it's basically inglorious bastards three years before inglorious bastards but instead of tarantino crap it's paul verhoven crap so <laughs> i'd recommend it um yeah i haven't seen i haven't seen too much by him oh, yeah i i've only seen uh robocop and then now black book and i've like fell in love with him i'm like oh god damn it now i gotta watch everything by him showgirls is his masterpiece <laughs> and uh, then uh sorry are we supposed to take turns i'm like just fucking no 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 no, 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 no you're good, good, good i was good. just we just we just uh interject something i yeah i just wanted to say that i, I love paul fairhoven yeah he's like he's a cool dude yeah and i was looking up an interview from him and he, he was talking like a thick ass accent he's, he's he's an old ass director you know what i mean he's and dutch he's, he's he's fucking dutch ass old ass whitey directy boy <laughs> and he's going and he, he was like and i you know they the writers they say you know you got to when something's on the tv i wanted to show the news you have to show the tv and then you show where it is and then you push into the tv and then you're in the news and he goes but i'm a painter and i you know i was looking at an abstract painting and it was just boxes and the boxes were just next to each other and i just thought that's how the movie should be it should just be one scene and then box you're in the news. So he, he was just talking about like how he just would cut straight to the news, but this guy thinks in terms of paintings. Like, I don't know. Such a weird ass like director perspective to hear from. So <laughs> I thought that was interesting. That um, sounds really interesting because like on on first hearing that idea, that kind of sounds like what happens in The Dark Knight Returns. Duran, what do you... Am I am I wrong? I mean, cutting right to a TV to like talk about something that's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I just thought it was interesting. Like the guy was thinking in terms of editing, like as 
visual like paintings and lines. That is interesting. Um, yeah, I watched cool. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest for the very first time. Hell yeah. yeah. Nice. Jack Nicholson, fucking choose the scenery in every scene. He's fantastic. And then I watched Queen and Slim, which I thought was really good as well. I've been watching a ton of good movies. Um, and yeah, I thought Queen and Slim was super relevant. Talk about like a modern message. Um, and I thought the script uh, is good. It's like it, it starts strong and it keeps going. So, yeah, I had a, um, a film teacher recommend that one to me. I'm a really big fan of uh, Daniel Kaluuya, but I haven't, I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah, yeah, that's about everything I've seen about the past week, but I've been watching movies like crazy as of recent. Nice. All right, uh, Duran, what have you been watching? Slash reading, slash listening, slash we could go on. Anyway, what <laughs> have you been doing? Uh, I haven't watched, like, I guess too many movies. Um, so Nick and I usually, like, watch the same movies since we live together. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll... Um, I'll say what we did. So we we watched Mean Streets for for Scorsese. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so good. Yeah, it was um, it was it was interesting. It was very like um, I think like Scorsese still hasn't really hadn't really like come into his own as a director, but like you could really see like his style like evolving from um his first film. Nick and I also watched his first film, uh, Who's That Knocking at My Door? But that was that was a little bit ago. Oh, I haven't seen that. How was that? Yeah. It's a, it's really interesting. I mean, I, I think if you're, if you're like a really big fan of Scorsese, which I certainly am, it's certainly like worth checking out. Yeah, I really I enjoyed check it. it out. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. weird, but um, yeah, it's cool. I like Mean Streets a lot. I think it's, it's interesting. You say like you totally can see Scorsese telling the same story or like trying to figure out how to tell this family story, which, you know, he ends up telling in every single movie. So yeah, um, it's actually really reminiscent of his first film too. So you might find that interesting um and then i watched uh this documentary called film before film uh with nick too which is like this um basically like this this guy warner nikas goes around and interacts with like these weird things that were like the progenitors to, to film so like zootropes and like magic um lanterns and that kind of thing with like the shadow puppets hmm um it was, it was kind of it was kind of boring <laughs> but uh it was <laughs> okay. it was it was interesting uh to to see like where where cinema came from because i think i think people like have this this um weird idea that like you know cinema started with the, the lumiere brothers and the train arrives at the station and that's definitely not true <laughs> that's interesting yeah um, people people like trains and, and uh, women on film is what we yes. learned yes yes Yes. Um, to quote David Lynch, I like naked women. Um, <laughs> speaking of David Lynch, we also watched Dune. Yes, we How did. Is that? I've never oh, seen it's, it. like, um, it's definitely like the greatest film I've seen in my life. It's oh, that's good to hear. I'll have to watch it then. <laughs> it's um, it, it gives me this weird feeling of like it's not good, but you're you're glad that it exists. I, I always kind of like say this when talking about this movie or have been for the last week is that it's it's not particularly well made like the the dialogue's fucking awful <laughs> it's so wooden <laughs> yeah. and like expositiony but all of the set design and costuming and all of that is just so interesting because it's David Lynch doing a Hollywood blockbuster. Yes. And what's and like, not going to be interesting about that? I can't even imagine it, really. It simultaneously feels like a Lynch film because you have like all like the Lynch actors and like 
the weird like lynch humor and like the set design but also it feels like a studio film at the same time it's so hard to like explain it doesn't make any sense. (laughs) (laughs) but um as a as a lynch fan and i guess as a dune fan it was it's like a fun little thing to experience it's absolutely like nonsensical and it's probably a terrible film but i love it yeah (laughs) i'll have to check it out because i've read the book i'm excited for the new dune i'll watch it yeah, yeah well, they definitely that's that's like one of the big releases we're looking forward to right hell now. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Um watch Salvatore Giolano, which is this um Italian mafia film. Um Nick and I watched Captain America the Winter Soldier, um, and Punisher Warzone. Punisher Warzone being the better of the two films. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Dude, Punisher Warzone was like that was an experience. I oh my god, it's so good. It, the movie is terrible, but it's like it's everything it needs to be as like a Punisher movie. It's so like over the top and gory in the most like hilarious ways possible. That oh, it's so, it's so worth a watch, especially if you're uh, inebriated. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, let's see. So I I've been reading this um, uh, Stan Brackage essay collection called Telling Time. Um, well, if you don't know, Stan Brackage is a um, avant-garde filmmaker who was um, pretty active in like the 50s, 60s. Um, and it's really interesting to see his perspective on, on a lot of different things, um, especially like on God. Um, he, he says that he he only works in like the field of aesthetics, which makes sense as he's an avant-garde filmmaker. But he has, he has a really interesting justification for um, why, why he believes in God. He kind of says that um, God is this... Uh, like universal truth um and and more of like a framework than a like you know all-knowing deity which i think was an interesting perspective um i also been reading yeah i've been reading a bit of a 12th night for class and uh in terms of what i've been listening to uh leonard cohen i've been getting really into leonard cohen so listen to his first album um uh songs of leonard cohen which is a masterpiece and i also listen to his second one um, songs from a room. Cool. Did you guys hear uh, Shores, the new Fleet Fox? No. Uh, what's Fleet Fox? Uh, they're the, um, man. I feel like I'm not as qualified to talk about this band as some of my no, friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they like uh, I don't even. I man, music is so hard to describe. It's the alternative kind of uh, rock, um, kind of indie in that wheelhouse but they mm. released a new album called shores and oh, cool. it's, uh, mm. it's really great i recommend it sounds cool. sounds like it's right up my alley yeah i need i need more music to listen to yeah besides just like kanye west yeah <laughs> <laughs> i can attest to that i love yeah, this i, I like force nick like against his will to just like listen to kanye west yes he day puts day. me in a chair he he does uh it's kind of like uh the, the clockwork, uh, orange thing. clockwork orange but for your ears <laughs> anyway uh i i i don't have anything to add because like you said all the movies that i watched this week um oh so, uh twin peaks, twin peaks oh yeah we've been watching a crap ton of twin peaks we're uh we're at the final episode we haven't watched it yet because i was like i want to put this off because i scheduled uh firewalk with me for now october 1st i had to move it uh up in the fucking halloween movie schedule just because I I want to watch this like as soon as I can. Dude, Firewalk with me is so yeah. good. I'm excited for October just to watch horror movies. Oh hell yeah! 
Yeah, we have a we have a bit of a list going on. I'm excited yeah. for a lot of these. Um, yeah, there's like a ton of horror movies that I missed, like uh, Possession. I didn't really want to see Kawidan, um, Cure by Kiyoshi Kurosawa, which came out recently. Yeah. Dang, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna have to make my list quick. I see a lot of people already have their 31 Days of Horror picked out. <laughs> yeah, Nick, uh, Nick, Nick made a made a beautiful uh, little calendar and little cute little drawings. Yeah. To go with it. Hell yeah. I'll, I'll post oh, yeah. it to the uh, Instagram or something cute, to, for cute everyone to drawings. see. Hell yeah! Yeah. Um, anyway, um, I I'll I'll give since I don't have like anything to add to this section, I'll just give like my thoughts on Twin Peaks, I guess. Um, dude, the show's so good even when it's like bad. It's, yeah. it, the the show like maintains. Uh, I think mostly through characters and acting, uh, just this like this, just the right sense of like weird lynchness happening, and even even like the bad storylines are good because of the actors and the way they are able to, you know, make a scene convincing. Dude, the Nadine in high school storyline is one of the best things I've ever seen. It's like it's legitimately <laughs> so funny to watch. Oh my god, it's so funny. Yeah, I think I think you put it perfectly. Um... The show's writing like really went down the gutter after Lynch left for um, I think it was like ten or so episodes, um, but the uh, the performances really carry it because like the uh, the actors and and the writers and the show creators did such a great job of building these characters that um, you 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 feel so attached to them even when they're like in really like stupid storylines. Except for James's the graduate storyline, which didn't need to exist yeah, at all. That that's like one of the worst. Things <laughs> so, where are you guys at? Are you have you watched the newest like season? Oh three? no! Uh, yeah, this was just uh, season two and season one. Uh, season one I watched a bit ago, but um, yeah. So we're, we're still working on the um, original series. Yeah. Are you planning on watching the? Absolutely, the I'm. Okay, I'm cool. very excited to watch the return eventually, but. Uh, this is just the original series for right now. I am in excited opinion, to see how this ends, even if opinion, it isn't the end. Yeah, in my opinion, Twin Peaks The Return is, like, not only David Lynch's greatest work, but also, like, my favorite TV show of all time, and certainly, like, up there with my favorite, like, films of all time. It is a film. It is a film. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just think I just think in general, like, the distinction between... Yeah. Like, um, narrative film and TV isn't is kind of like stupid. True. Think there should be one, but, Especially yeah. now, there's so much prestige TV. Yeah, yeah. HBO is just pumping out long movies, and we just give them yeah. an Emmy each year I, I for mean, it. Yeah. I just watched all of Euphoria, and that's actually the same cinematographer and um, chief lighting technician as Under the Silver Lake. Oh, nice. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, they and so uh, there's a lot of similar, like really long dolly moves and interesting coverage for uh, that show. So hmm. it was a good, it's a good watch. Cool, awesome. Yeah, I'll yeah, definitely, like, yeah. I've been debating to watch that. I, I know yeah. I definitely need like a new TV show. It's worth it because it's edited like a music video. It's just interesting filmmaking that to to see in a TV show. You know, it's like very. Uh, it's on the more experimental end. So it's interesting to see that um, make its way not just into TV, but from music video to TV, because it's like people always get experimental with music videos before they can get experimental with film. So it's cool, mm. like seeing some like a wider range of editing techniques in a modern HBO show. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Um, that, that sounds like a really interesting thing. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, that's, that's it for my end. Uh, I don't know about you guys. Speaking of prestige television, um, hopefully sooner rather than later, Joe and I will do an episode covering The Wire, the entirety of The Wire. I'll be there to talk about nine episodes of season one. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I probably won't be there for it, but uh, yeah. I, I hope that goes well. I hope it's a good oh, conversation. It's probably going to be like a disaster. But Maybe. Fun thing to like generally talk about. Yeah, <laughs> one of the best shows ever made. I could listen to Joe talk about how much he likes The Wire forever. So, <laughs> all right. Well, well yeah. Reese, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank, thank you, so you for, for having me. This was a real pleasure. Yeah, I'm. I'm glad you had a good time. It was a very interesting movie you brought in. Um, glad we had a good discussion about it. Um, and we'll see you guys next time. Goodbye. Hell yeah! See you guys later.